Well, without further ado, hello and welcome to the latest in the Balderton podcast series. I'm Ben Goldsmith, and today I'm joined by George Spencer, the founder and CEO of Rentify, and Gabriele Morozo, the director of business operations at the same company. The interesting context about Gabriele was that you were the third employee, is that right, at Rentify? There or thereabouts, yes. There or thereabouts, that's, that's what George tells me. You're either the third employee or the third in the whole entire team. Third, third most interesting employee is the actual... Uh, <laughs> Who's the first? Uh, well, it was me, but having heard your job title just then said aloud, it sounds like you run the business and I have a completely <laughs> meaningless glamour title, just a, just a puppet, basically, at this point. We won't dive into that too No, that's much. another podcast for another time. Yeah, particularly thorny issue. Um, but let's get straight into the meat of the thing, because why you two are here is that we want to talk about hiring the right team. Because... Gabriele, you are very early in the team. George, you are the founder, the CEO. Once you were one of a few founders, and now I believe like the the two guys that you founded the business with have gone on to other things. Uh, so hiring that early team must have been potentially one of the most important things you've done. Certainly one where uh, extremely important decisions were made. Maybe a few mistakes. So take us through that that think, process. That's yeah, that's fair. I think I think um, most uh, most founding teams. Probably, particularly when you're at the, the stage um, of, of kind of having an idea on a sheet of paper, you're constrained by lots and lots of things, um, chiefly capital, as ever. You know, all startup founders, uh, irrespective of stage, are constrained by capital. Um, but um, I think one of the things that also constrains you is basically how good you are at selling a proposition to uh, to somebody. So when we were when we were just starting and just getting uh, getting off the ground we had an idea on a piece of paper i needed somebody that would be able to do sales with me and sit opposite me in a very tiny cramped room that we were renting from go cardless that smelled of bo um, which was there <laughs> nothing before. to do with go cardless everything sure. to do with haroki um, and um, we I needed somebody who would be able to sit opposite me, and I'm, I'm a bit much at the best of times, for 12 hours a day, making telephone calls after telephone call after telephone call to landlords. And it was really difficult to say to someone, hey, take a massive pay cut, come and work with me on this, and, um, and, and you know, we'll get the ball rolling. And so that led me to hiring somebody that I knew socially from university. It was a. Uh, it was really really. That's cool. not Gabrielli, right? That is. No, that's a, some... a different individual. <clears throat> no, that's that. Yeah, no, that that was our, He was our first uh, first hire. So we had two co-founders in the business um, who were fantastic people to have ideas with and to be able to talk to and bounce things off. But on an executional level, um, it's very difficult to have three people running a business at the same time and um, there's inevitably overlap and things like that and frankly when you're when you're at the idea stage and you're, you're actually just building something unless you're practical and can actually contribute things and do things in a hands-on way there's not that much for you to do right you, you know there's not much role for a CFO or a head of PR or whatever in a startup that is still trying to get ideas off a piece of paper and turn them into uh, pixels in a, in a web browser so so that was kind of a difficult transition because we like we let go of the, of the two co-founders um, but then the first hire was enormously constrained by every conceivable constraint that you you could have and we wound up hiring somebody who is a great friend from university and who stuck with the business for, for I think he was there for 18 months to two years and was fantastic but what happened was that the role that he was hired in to do we basically began to automate and automate and automate which was he was doing direct marketing to landlords calling them up and then after we got a little bit more capital into the business it became possible for us to um, automate that with google ads and things like that but would you still say that was a, a good first hire he was a terrific first hire because he was somebody who I knew could actually sit opposite me 
and deal with me and I could sit opposite him and deal with him. We both basically passed the airport test for each other, <laughs> which was that we could we could have been on a delayed flight, sat for six hours, not fallen out horribly. And and that's the kind of thing that really matters in the early stages of a startup. You know, you're, you're always making um, trade-offs for talent and for um, all sorts of other things. You know, it's very rare that you've got the perfect founder, the perfect salesperson, the perfect uh, marketing guy. Um, but it was, uh, it was the right trade-off for us at the time. And how do you evolve that? Because you've used the words at the time, early stage, several times just during that explanation of your first hire and the co-founder situation. But how do you let that evolve from what you do in the early stages where you just need to get this thing off the ground and then to what phase two when you actually need to build your deployment execution team? I think that's a, that's a really good question. So startups, I think that I can't remember who said this, but startups go through lots and lots of seasons very quickly. And and typically in terms of your, your headcount, you go from being a kind of a hamlet or a group of friends to being a hamlet, to being a, ta- a village, to being a town, to being a city, to being, you know, if you're an Uber, then eventually you become kind of a small nation. And so the skills that you look for in people as you get bigger are not just executional and operational skills, but are also the soft skills that go with come with experience. So, you know, if you've got a bunch of 22-year-old guys in a room who are all very highly technical people, there's usually a lot of ego, there's usually a bit of arrogance, there's usually kind of very frank discussions and conversations about what the right approach is. And as you grow, you start to look for people who maybe have the softer skills that can say, well, you know, you can manage people, you can actually get people to do things that they don't think are such a good idea. You can have a strategic input, you can start to see around corners. I think that the the, the, the way that the role changes is that initially we were very, very executionally focused. People had very, very limited roles. I think for the first two years at Rentify, every single person had one KPI that they were in charge of, right? There was one guy whose KPI was how many lines of code did he ship? That was not a perfect KPI to have, but it was just how many lines of code did he ship? Uh, My KPI was how many landlords did I get signed up to the service? And so on and so forth. And then after a while, you get more sophisticated and people can start to have uh, more things that they're responsible for. But in the early days, it's just all about execution and all about trying to scale very, very quickly, or it was for us. it, It worked at the time. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, it was just a trade off, and I think part of the the challenge that I think a lot of startups at seed stage have is that they try and optimize for for very marginal gains. So they they really agitate over who is the best person for this, what is the best way to approach this, and really when you think about when you sort of step back and think about the decisions that you're making, you're kind of often you often spend a long time optimizing for the difference between a 6 out of 10 outcome and a 7 out of 10 outcome. And really the thing that determines your success over the longer term is your ability to get to the outcome faster. And that's the thing that we always optimize for, is how can you do it as quickly as Is that the one piece of advice you'd give to the early stage entrepreneurs and people starting a business that are listening to this podcast? The, the, I think there's two pieces of advice. One would be never trust advice from a startup founder because typically they've only <laughs> ever done it once and they, they don't know what they're talking about, um, as we'll come on to. Um, and secondly, yeah, get, I think, think having things done at speed is usually preferable to optimizing for the difference between six or seven out of ten. Gabrielli, the question I want to ask you is, why on earth, as a, as a young, smart, intelligent fella, uh, that uh, over our conversations in the past and today that I, I've gauged that you are, why did you join this team? Why did you join Rentify? Because you have the world kind of uh, rolled out in front of you at that age, surely, and you took this, this risk of going into a, to a startup. What was going through your mind when you said, yes, George, I, I want to join the team? It's a question I ask myself every day. Um, no, so I was fortunate enough to do a four-year course at university. Um, so a lot of my friends I saw go into the corporate world. You know, your, your accountancy firms, your consultancies, your, your investment banks. And seeing them develop throughout that year and, you know, with a growing interest in tech, and it seemed like the, the, the kind of right decision for me, given that I wanted to go somewhere where 
I would be learning sort of exponentially as opposed to just sort of being taught and going through a regular scheme. And how did you quite literally find out about Rentify or where did you meet George or how did the opportunity come about? And we were introduced by um, by mutual acquaintance. Um, I think it was actually somebody who I knew who lived in George's block of apartments. Um, and George sort of approached her <laughs> saying, I'm looking for quite a sort of smart all-round graduate. And she she suggested me. And I, and I met George. Um, and I met the team. And it seemed right. Um, I had met another uh, another few startups as well. I think George managed to sell it to me, <laughs> to, to be completely honest with you. Um, and, and to be honest, I'm quite happy with the decision to date. <laughs> but you say today, it's been... Quite a long time. It has. In a rental. How many years is it now? It's actually just coming up to three years. Um, to in, three in around years. a week or so, I believe. Does it? Expecting the celebrations to, to flow through. <laughs> He's expecting a cake. <laughs> George, you best get onto the bakers. Does it feel longer than three years? Does it feel like you've done... Uh, and I, what I mean by that question is, if you spent three years at one of the more traditional businesses that you've seen a lot of your people you study with go on to, do you think you've learned a lot more going into a startup early? I think it's difficult to say on the basis that I have my experience and then it's the only experience I have. What I do know is is that when I have conversations with my peers at the moment about you know various uh, you know various stages of running a business and where you are and various things that I have experienced doing uh, doing so, I think that my experience is incredibly broad. I mean that's what a startup gives you, especially when you've grown from it from a very early stage. You know, I'd feel equally comfortable and um, picking up a, a phone call from from a you know a rentify landlord and talking about a very very simple disputes. Um, but I'd also feel comfortable having a conversation with our chairman about slightly longer term goals or you know about some of the key numbers that are driving the business going forward. Um, would, and you, say, would you advise people that are studying now to? Go and work in a startup. You've got to be the right person for it. So um, I, I personally felt that I was the right person on the basis that I um, I always liked to do lots of different things, um, and that's what a startup life definitely gives you. So if you you know if you I've, I always had a problem. I remember growing up uh, choosing between sort of the numerical uh, subjects and the uh, you know, literary ones. And I always um, wanted to go broad. And whilst it might seem that a startup is going actually quite specific, um, in, in the role that I was going into at Rentify, I was doing lots of things uh, from, from very early. So, George, a question about hiring people early. It seems that you know you and Gabrielli get on pretty well, but from Gabrielli's description of how you guys first came into each other's consciousness, it was very random, very kind of haphazard. Something I wanted to talk about was hiring friends or hiring people you know, because uh, each founder you talk to has a different tale about this when it comes to starting businesses with friends or hiring them into the early team. And the, most of the stories that I've heard from uh, other founders in our portfolio and, uh, and broader is that it's not a good idea. Do you have experience of that? Do you have an opinion on that? Well, I think it's a really good question. So Coming back to the the fact that you're you're almost always constrained in the in the early stages of a company, I think one of the reasons that people do a lot of people do hire friends and do hire people that they know socially is because you have to be able to build bridges quite quickly over what a concept is and and what what you're kind of tr- trying to achieve, and so that's one of the reasons why people do it. And I think that's probably actually one of the big mistakes, which is that if you have social ties to a founder or to an early employee, then they can become strained because invariably, I think well, maybe not invariably, but but a lot of the times you're making decisions about hiring and decisions about roles in the early days when you have a tiny amount of information about what you require in the medium term. Particularly if the startup starts to scale and you require more skills beyond the, the basic skills that you hired into in the in the in the first instance. So what we found was that you know I had I had social relationships with with my found my, my two co-founders and my my first employee, and they did become quite strained when we had to have difficult conversations because it, you know it's 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 
it's very, very difficult to separate your, your, you know, your personal life from this all-consuming passion, which is building this company to, to change the world and, and do amazing things. And being told or being asked or having a conversation about not being a part of that anymore is, uh, is, is difficult on both sides of the table. Because let's dive into that, because as we touched on before, you started the business with two co-founders and now you are the only founder left, to phrase it in that way. How did that happen? Was that a, a positive experience? Was that an inevitable experience in 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 many ways? So the the the, the original the genesis of the idea was that I had um, I had a, a great friend who was a consultant who I'd been kicking around the idea for for Entify with, and it started off in a very different place to where it is today. The the, the co-founder, the original co-founder that I um, started with, a guy called Josh, was a terrific guy to have an idea with, um, but he was. He had a kind of a limited range of digital experience. He was able to run development teams for projects in a consultancy sense, but he wasn't as technical as me necessarily. And I think he had great ideas for marketing, but he was a PR guy. And in the early stages, as you'll know, as a, as a PR guy yourself, <laughs> it's not necessarily all that easy to do a lot of PR for a presentation on a piece of paper. And so, whilst he was really useful, go. He, he invested. He introduced me to investors. He was, um, you know, he was terrific in, in that sense. But we we agreed very early on that actually there was a limited range of inputs that he could have. That would influence the outcome of the business, and so the other the other co-founder was um, uh, a slightly more technical individual. But basically, it got to a place where we both wanted to have both hands on the steering wheel um, all the time, and ultimately, that's not a good way to run a business. So, would you something that um, first-time founders who are just starting out should be aware of that it seems kind of inevitable that the job roles of your early hires and even your second phase of hires, their job roles will change and evolve over time. Yeah, and I think it's—I think that's why it's important to, I mean, if I was going back and doing it again, I definitely, and I don't mean this in a, in a negative sense, I definitely wouldn't put this, pick the same co-founders. I think being, you know, being in the same office as Hiroki, Matt and Tom from Go Cardless um, was a, a terrific experience for me because they were three people who scaled really, really well with each other in the business taking on different roles. So if you you know if you talk to Matt Robinson um, who, who only just left about a year or 18 months ago go cardless. He did everything from you know, looking after the legals to looking at the um, uh, hiring practices um, to doing like finance, doing the fundraising, being able to help with um, running the sales team and all that sort of thing. And I think if you've got that kind of background or you've got the ambition and drive to be able to be hands-on, roll your sleeves up, I'm just going to get stuck in and, and lead this department. If you're that kind of character, then that's great. If you can do a good impression of a sales lead, then you're probably good enough to, to kind of uh, get away with it. You know, it's about optimizing again for, for that outcome. And Gabriele, to talk to you about that uh, in terms of roles changing over time, sure. the job that you initially went into three years ago, three plus years ago, how much has that changed? Oh, it's changed enormously. So I went in as, uh, I think my title was operations executive. And that meant sort of helping out anywhere anywhere I could, really. Um, so I started off in um, in sort of customer support, speaking to landlords, customer development, just sort of understanding what our landlords wanted and, and feeding it back into uh, to product development there. Um, I then moved into a product role um, that was actually split between product management and analytics, just through things that I'd picked up in my time working in operations. Um, and now I'm, I, I've got the, the, the great title of Director of Business Operations. Um, which a great title. I mean, it's a, it's a bit much. But it effectively <laughs> means that I'm doing what I was doing on a very, very small level, but, but on a much bigger level. So I, I'm uh, helping take care of, of analytics and, and marketing, um, whilst also assisting in, in delivery of the service, also in, in sales. So your roles change over time. It seems that anyone in an early team at a startup, their role will, of course, get bigger is a nice way to sure. think about it. But how's, how has George changed over time? 
because the the uh, CEO of a company that has three, four, five, etc. employees is probably very different to one that has two, three, four times that. What's walking, working for George like now compared to working for George three years eyes, ago? Burning holes in something with his eyes at the moment. <laughs> um, I think uh, I've been fortunate enough to have, a, to have a very good relationship with George from the very beginning. Um, and so my relationship with him hasn't really changed that much in that he's uh, supportive where he needs to be supportive. He is um, hard on me when he needs to be hard on me. But he knows that with me personally, that's kind of how, how I've gotten better. Within a smaller team with a lot of people that are sort of a lot closer, um, a CEO can afford to be... Uh, sort of almost friendly with, with everybody. And I think that uh, as time's gone on and the team's sort of grown to, you know, 40, 50 uh, people, George's had to take an approach which is um, much more statesman-like, if you will, you know, and actually being able to approach everybody in the team. So, George, the statesman, it seems that the team has obviously grown over these three-plus years. What have been the mistakes? How do you react to potentially making a bad hire or having to let someone go what does that teach you and how do you react? How do you keep the rest of the team still believing in the Rentify ethos when potentially there have been bumps in the road? I think it's a, that's a really interesting. So part of the job of a, of a person, a senior person in any company, and particularly in technology startups, is that you are essentially standing up in front of your team every minute of the day saying, hey, this great new thing that we're going to do is fantastic and it's going to change the world. And it's 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 not it's not the overall ambition of the company. It's the it's the the execution of it. So each individual project or, or initiative within the company, you believe is gonna is gonna have an amazing impact on each metric. And probably seventy five percent of the time, you fail at that, or you get halfway to where you wanted to go, and you realize, oh, we had this thing wrong. And then you have to stand up and say, hey, but we're gonna get it right this time. And so you have to kind of be relentlessly optimistic. And people. People are, are, are naturally very attracted to optimism in, in general, and 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 optimism in in startups is absolutely paramount, and it a hundred percent of the time beats out cynicism of 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 any any sort, and so. So I think that's kind of how you how you stand up in front of people and 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 get them to kind of stand behind you when you make mistakes, and then in terms of mistakes, you know we've we've made a ton of mistakes when we hire we. Um, uh, you know, any time, almost any time, we've hired a senior person. We, it's been a huge mistake for us. We haven't, we haven't. I think there's probably there's one senior person who who has been transformative and incredible. And the remainder of all the senior people that we've hired have been good for other businesses and a, and 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 maybe a cultural fit, but ultimately haven't been able to cut the mustard um, with us internally because they're not hands on enough, or they're not, um, uh, you know, they're not numerate enough, or they are used to delegating, or or, or whatever it is. And without going into specifics, because it'd be you know unfair to people who I'm sure are mm-hmm. incredible professionals. Mm-hmm. But you say there's been issues when you hire from very large companies into a small company. And why do you think there is? Is there common ca- characteristics that turn into common flaws potentially? Yeah, I think I think one of the things that you that, that I've I've sensed happening to me over the last few years is you know when when Gabrielli joined the business. If you looked at the dock on my Mac, it was probably um, uh, Photoshop, um, TextMate for writing a bit of code when I was actually allowed to, um, you know, um, Word for editing copy, um, things like that. You know, I was actually hands-on and actually contributing um, uh, output in 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 a, in a in a very strict sense. And now, if you look at the dock on my Mac, it's Excel. It's um, you know it's a, a Windows emulator so that I can run the grown-up version of Excel for Windows. It's my email client. Um, it's Slack. And and your job, I think, naturally, as you become more senior and you've got a little bit more experience, and you're responsible for for, for the strategy, the business, and the vision, is that you you essentially start 
setting the operational rhythm, and then effectively backing your top people to do things really, really well. And so whilst I contribute at an executional level, typically the way that I contribute now is that I don't go and do things by myself. I'll get a bunch of smart people together. You know, Gabrielle and I will spend an afternoon in the boardroom and we'll build a, a, a model together for, for the unit economics of a new product or whatever it is. And so what that means is that you... You know, I've been fortunate that I'm still able to be executionally and operationally involved, but at, at, a, at a big company, you typically get into the habit of delegating, 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 grabbing, you know, doing resource investigations and all that sort of thing. And people lose their ability to be numerate, decisive, sharp-edged thinkers. They're not people who are sitting down and thinking, okay, if I look at this, um, you know, search marketing account, for example, here are the campaigns that I'm going to cut, here's what I'm going to put in there. They're not decisive like that. What they want to do is they want to say, I'm going to get a fantastic search marketing manager who's going to come in underneath me and then you're suddenly in a place where you're you're racking up you know senior people middle managers all that sort of thing on the payroll and and it becomes difficult marketing is just one example it's um it's difficult for people when they get past a certain point in their careers to actually have the hands-on ability and the desire to be hands-on because because you have to want to actually do it and in a startup there's nowhere to hide you can't so Gabrielle, to talk to you about that you obviously came in in a comparatively junior role and have risen up the ranks I see on your LinkedIn the job titles evolved a few times that kind of thing and so I believe you've just made your first hire into your team how is that experience you know making your your first hire well it's certainly an experience I think um Something that George alluded to earlier in terms of how, how we went about hiring people, I think I identified that, that we had a problem uh, to solve, which was uh, that there was, there was one very specific metric that we wanted to drive up. Um, and I was doing it at the time, um, and we started realizing that you, you need to hire for, the, for that specific role. Um, and so that was kind of the first step, understanding that there was, that there was somebody that needs to be hired for, for a very specific, uh, specific role. Um, and then actually going through the process and looking for people that would fit in with the way that we work. And I know that we uh, specifically uh, amazingly results-driven. Results um, it doesn't matter how you actually get to an answer. Um, it's about getting there and actually sort of getting insights out and, and working with them. Um, and so that's pretty much what I was looking for when I, when I was going through the process of, of finding this person. It seems very logical, very kind of uh, procedure-driven. Yeah, I think, I think you have to. I think it's difficult to... To just sort of bring somebody in for the sake of it. I think there has to be one very specific thing you want that, that person to do, or at least the way, the way that I see it, mm. um, and, and find the right person for that. So, George, one last thing I almost wanted to end on is you started the business quite young. You're 24, 25, I believe. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I mean, there's lots of positives to that. You're young, you have all the energy and verve of a youthful person. The things that people talk about and automatically assume as a, as a young founder... What are the downsides? There's got to be a few. People have to make judgments of a 24, 25-year-old founder that either potentially are true or aren't. It's one of those things where I think your your background is, is really important to you. So I was fortunate to have been um, on um, a reasonably competitive um, uh, graduate training program, uh, which meant that I had a, a kind of a, an interesting plethora of, of experiences to fall back on. Um, but you're also, you're, you're, you're just starting out and you're at the point where it's always like you know how they always say education is wasted on the young and it should be reserved for the old. I think you're at that. It's kind of it's kind of similar, which is that you're you're doing something that you would ideally be doing when you've got 35 years of experience under your belt in order to be able to make all of the right management decisions and to be able to you know see around corners a little bit and think, oh, this is the right thing to be doing here. This is how I should deal with this situation. Here's how I should flex my communications to deal with this particular person. And so 
I think the, the biggest mistake, it's not necessarily a mistake, but one of, the, one of the decisions that I made really early on was that selfishly it was going to be easier in the first probably year of the company for me to reshape my managerial world in my image, which is to say that it would be simpler for me to get people that responded to my management style as it was than to learn how to manage people very, very quickly. Um, so I got a bunch of people who were highly executionally driven, who were keen on working super hard, um, who were numbers and, and detail oriented, um, and who didn't really care about company culture. And that was a decision that I made. I, I deliberately decided that I was going to make that trade-off because I didn't want to have the experience of having to, or have the 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 emotion, the kind of the emotional collateral of having to manage a, um, you know, somebody who you need to take a softly, softly approach with, or somebody who is very sensitive and that sort of thing. And do you feel that was a bad call on your part? Um, I don't know. I think it was. It made my life a lot simpler. It also probably was a bad call in the sense that when I did come time to manage those people, um, I was terrible at it. And people, you know, we ha we've had people who, uh, you know, we, we have a very frank style in our senior team where we just we, we we it's a firm meritocracy. We discuss things. The best idea wins. We have heated discussions. We kind of argue about things. We want to make sure that we're actually getting to the right conclusion. But everybody is very egoless. So when we get to the right thing, we say that's it. We've got the right thing. We know that now. Let's move on. And some people struggle to kind of integrate with that. And so I think one of the, the key things that I've had to learn over the last few years is how to flex your communication style. Because ultimately, if you can't, if you can't do that, then you really struggle to influence people as the company scales. Because it's the only way to learn that by doing it. I think so. I had a I had a, a, a performance coach that the board um, so the board suggested to me that I should get a, a performance coach to help me with um, working with the junior people in our team. Um, and um, we we stopped doing it after twelve weeks. And it wasn't because I was stubborn or because I was uh, uh, you know not 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 willing to respond to her, her methods. It was because ultimately a lot of it was so hypothetical at that time that it wasn't really all that useful to me. And so. Um, I think the best the best way for me to learn is by doing right. I'm one of those people that if I can get my hands on and actually try something, I pick it up very quickly. But if it's talking about hypotheticals about how would you deal with a situation when somebody's cat dies and they ask for a day off work, you know, my initial reaction to that in the early days was, "Well, it's a cat. Who cares?" Um, <laughs> <laughs> you say as your dog strides around as, as he, office. Yeah, exactly. Kind of owning the office. But I think the other the, the other final thing that I, I wanted to very very briefly touch on was is the fact that we talked we talked a little bit about the um, the the difference between hiring people you know really well and friends and hiring people from kind of externally. I think that the, the one thing that we've started to get really good at at Rentify is that we've started to bridge that gap very, very tightly with our recruitment process. So people that are coming into Rentify now go through an awful, uh, an awful lot more testing and we have a much more rigorous approach to, to approaching our senior hires. So doing things like Belbin team assessments to work out what kind of person they are, what their management style is, doing things like cultural um, interviews. So one of the things that we always drop on people uh, and, and I'm protecting going to give the game away here is that they have uh, at the end of their, their last interview they have five minutes to prepare a 10 minute presentation that they have to give to 10 people that they haven't met before in the business which we call the passion pitch and it has to be about a topic they're very passionate about and so we do all of this testing with people and make sure that they're a cultural fit so we kind of get to the point where we almost know them socially before we hire them anyway um, and so I think that was one of the things that really it was like a huge wake-up call for me about 18 months to two years ago was the fact that, hey, these people want a job with you. You've got as much time as you need to evaluate them and make sure that you're getting the right person. And uh, sometimes if you don't do that, you luck out and you get a Gabrielli who's uh, terrific. And sometimes you make huge mistakes when you hire and then you have to go to the team and say, Mia Culpa, it was my fault. George, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank Gabrielli, you, Gabrielli, thanks for coming in. Thank you, Ben. <laughs>